0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It is good to see everyone. I want to reiterate just what Andrea said, what she spoke, while recognizing that some of you might be struggling in here. Some of you might read the decision that was taken in the courts, and you have, there may be various opinions, and so I want to recognize that, and also encourage you to say, instead of bristling against this right away, my encouragement sit with God, sit with His Word. Seek the Lord, genuinely seek His heart for all of life, both the unborn and the born. And that the church, sojourn included, this is a time to get back to, as Andrea mentioned, the early church. The early church was known for when there was unwanted babies that were dumped in the dumpster. Who would take those babies in? The church. And so I just had this thought. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or if it's just as Andrea was sharing this morning. Usually if it's not the Holy Spirit, it is Andrea whenever there's wisdom. But maybe in some ways if the church, let's say the greater church, was stepping up and, and providing the way that we should be Let, let's get back to that place essentially so that people don't feel like they're forced into a situation that that we don't want them to have to be forced to be into if that makes sense so I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it right there and just say seek the lord on this and that we are the church has been saying that last song we are the hope on the earth and so if that's true let's step up to the plate and actually provide for all of life okay. I want to give a special welcome to our team from North Carolina. Thank you guys for being here with us. They are our sending church. What that means is that apart from this church, we would not likely be here. I know that, that I would very likely not be here. This is the church that where I was actually raised and discipled and baptized and poured into. Eventually, they laid hands on me and commissioned me, and they sent me to South Asia, hoping I would never come back. And then I returned, and then they ordained me, and then they commissioned us again and sent us out here. And through the leadership of mark he's been coming out for a number of years now um, just leading in our kids camp serving our community in a variety of ways i truly thank you mark thank you to your team take, you're taking a week of your summer you can be doing a lot of other things this week so thank you for coming here and spending this week serving us serving our community here in portland take a chance to get to know them if you're local uh they're, they're great people they sound a little bit more like me some of you comment on my accent sometimes so they are from north carolina so get a chance to get to know what other north carolinians are like and if you like in eating at Pine State Biscuits then you already know that you will like us and that you will enjoy us. But thank you for continuing to hold the rope by praying for us, encouraging us, and supporting us. Today we're gonna be starting chapter four in First Peter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to first Peter four. We're gonna be looking at verses one through six this morning. First Peter four one through six. We'll read it in its entirety. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Who has ever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are they might live in the spirit the way that god does this is the word of the lord let me pray for us god we thank you for your word it's all-knowing, it's all-truthful, but God, sometimes it's hard for us to understand, at least upon a first reading. And so, this morning, we know that your presence is here with us. We ask, God, that you would speak to us and that you would make your word crystal clear to us. God, that You would, uh, your word would encourage us while exhorting us where we have found ourselves in our time and place in our culture and history. It's in your name, by your power. Amen. Well, I know many of you here have traveled quite extensively. In fact, we have some people in the room who are from different countries, and if you've traveled to other areas of the world, you know that it can be quite unnerving when you arrive in a new place. You start looking around, and you quickly realize the differences. Language is different. That's maybe the most noticeable, and it's if you're like me, you know that I like to talk, so it's really hard when I get to a place and I cannot communicate. I have to you know, start using my hands even more to communicate what I want. The clothing is often different. And you notice that, hey, I'm wearing things that look really funny, well, I think what they're wearing looks funny, but I'm the one that looks funny. The driving is different. If you've ever been in some of these other countries, I mean, the driving is just crazy, especially compared to here, we're really slow, we're kind of passive, and we wave everybody on, and we're not sure who's supposed to go when. The customs are different. Oftentimes, the idolatry is different. This week, I drove our interns out to the suburbs in Vancouver, we went to this place called Chick-fil-A, most of you are familiar with it. And they were, they were having a, a missing of home of sorts. And so I, I could just sense that, man, they're going to need this. So we went to Chick-fil-A, and they thanked me because they said it felt more like home. They're from a different culture, culture of Texas. The group who traveled here yesterday from North Carolina, from Charlotte area, it can be unsettling to arrive in this foreign land called Portland where we like to keep things weird and you're only starting to scratch the surface. You've only gone from the hotel to here. You're going to see it all through the week. I'll never forget when we moved to India, and I quickly realized I'm always going to stick out like a sore thumb, and I'm never going to fit into this place entirely. And that this, I will always be a guest here. It's never going to fully feel like home. Some of you can relate all too well. This is not your country of birth. And because of that, no matter how long you live here, No matter how much you adopt and adapt to our culture with the clothing and you learn our language, it never quite fully feels like home. This is the same thing that happens to us when we become disciples and apprentices of Jesus. Where you quickly realize, I went from one way of living. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. When when you get baptized, it represents your old way of life. And you go down, and and you die that way, and you come up in a new life in Christ. And so you you have this old way of living, but now you are a follower of Jesus. And you start to realize that you no longer fit in the same way. It's still the same people. It's still the same family and the same friends and classmates and coworkers. But you just don't quite fit the way that you used to fit. You quickly realize, I'm no longer home. I'm on foreign soil, and I'm here as a sojourn. That your citizenship is ultimately in heaven. This is where Peter is going to take us this morning in chapter 4. As he continues to remind us that we are an exiled people, the church, because we are not home. At least that's how it should be. I think in the West, what I have observed in general terms is we've drunk really deep from the well of materialism, consumerism, and prosperity. And so we'll read passages like the one that that the verses that Peter's writing or entire letters like the one that Peter's writing. And we'll either ignore them. That's one option. Or we'll skip over them. That's another option. Or we'll read them and we'll apply them to our brothers and sisters who live in places like China and say, wow, this really applies to them because they are living in a persecuted area where they might be killed for their faith. But I thank God it's not for me and my comfortable Christianity. Those are the options that we typically see lived out. Well, our brother Peter is coming to us, and what he wants to help us do is he wants to help change our thinking. Peter wants to reverse engineer how our culture and society would, would, would engineer our brains to help us think differently. Peter wants to help us think like Christ, regardless who we are, where we're from, and where we live. Now, last week he encouraged us, with a hopeful picture of vindication and exaltation in christ we were looking at the last part of chapter three if you work with us or you just care to it's on our podcast i encourage you to go back and, and listen because each week really builds together and what peter's going to do this week is he's going to help draw a conclusion for us on having the mind of christ and being stewards of the will of god peter will tell us to follow christ is to follow him not just in vindication and glory we all like that part Right? Like we're gonna follow Christ in this vindication and we're gonna be we're gonna get glory as well. That's what it tells us in scripture. But it's also to follow him in suffering and dying. That's the part that's not as popular. We we don't typically see a lot of people sign up for that one. It's kind of like having people sign up for an early morning prayer. Right? You might get a couple. But to follow him and to help our thinking about these things. So the question we'll attempt to answer this morning is how do we steward God's grace? And how do we steward God's will for the remainder of our time on this earth? In this sojourn that we have been given, as we are sojourners, how do we steward this time and steward it well? And so point number one this morning is living out the calling of God's will. Let's look back at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter 4. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So the first thing we see underneath this is, there's a few things that we are called to. So the first thing is we are called to imitate Christ. That first part of verse one. Think about it. If Jesus is our model... And if you are a Christian, he is. And he suffered that we too should be willing to suffer. Now, why did Jesus suffer? He suffered for doing what's right. He suffered for doing what's good. He suffered to fulfill the will of God. And in a like manner, we too will suffer for doing what's right, for doing what's good, and for living out the will of God. Well, why is that? Why can't we just have the comfortable Christianity that sometimes we've drank from? Because we are not home yet. We are on foreign soil, and we are called to imitate Jesus. So the first thing we're called to is to imitate Christ. The second thing we're called to is to prepare like soldiers. The second part of verse 1, it says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We are in a spiritual battle, and we have to be prepared for battle. You don't just send somebody into battle without any preparation. You don't just pack them up and send them off and say, there you go. Hope it goes well. You're never going to see that individual again. We have to be prepared for battle. Ephesians six twelve says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so by prepare for battle, I mean be prepared and ready to follow Jesus, even into suffering. 1 Peter 2.11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which rage war against your soul. So not only must we be ready for battle, but we must be ready to endure when, not if. It says when opposition and conflict comes our way now if you're with us on wednesday night we kind of discussed a little bit what does that look like in our context i'm not going to get into that a ton this morning but it does look different than our persecuted brothers and sisters in other parts of the world we're not to that level but i think we're seeing more and more various forms of what suffering looks like for us here in our time and place and in our culture so what does it look like then to be practically prepared You're telling us to prepare, but how do we actually do it? First, spiritual practices that help shape us in the way of Jesus. In short, that would be discipleship. But how is it that we live and look more and more like Jesus? It's by practicing and following his way. That starts oftentimes with scripture reading, reflection, application. You've heard me say this before. God hasn't spoken to me, or I'm not sure what God wants me to do. He's given us his book. He's given us his word. It doesn't spell out every single thing, A, B, C, exactly what we're going to do. But God's word will not return void. So reflecting on his word, applying his word to our lives. Now, there's nothing magical about when you read the Bible. For years, I read the Bible late at night. Because if I don't have coffee in the morning, I'm struggling. But I heard one really good argument. It kind of shifted my thinking a number of years ago. And so I'm not saying thus say the Lord, but this is just a food for thought. One reason to advocate for reading the Bible, spending time with the, the Lord reflecting and prayer in the morning, is it helps you prepare for your day. Because if you're going into battle every single day, when you leave your house and sounds like the spiritual battle happens when you wake up, but when you leave your house, you, you have that word that you read that morning, it's, it's so relevant, oftentimes it's very applicable to what you're dealing with. It helps you be ready and prepared for what you're going to face that day for the attacks of the enemy that you'll face, for the hardships, for the challenges, for the struggles of your daily life. It's like some of you are like me. You need your coffee in the morning, okay? If you don't have that coffee, then you're not prepared for the day. So if you guys had me up here without my coffee, I'd be like halfway falling asleep like some of you might be in some of my messages. And and then what if I wait till eight o'clock tonight? I finally got my coffee. Then I'm awake and I'm not ready to go to sleep and I'm all charged up. There's a reason I drink it in the morning. Or it's like charging the battery on your iPhone. You charge it up, right? You want to have it ready to go. You want it fully charged when you leave the house because you want it to last as long as possible because it's the most annoying thing you know, on public transportation in Portland. You're like, I don't have anywhere to plug this thing into. Or the bathroom's closed at the Starbucks and Fred Meyer, and so you can't charge it there either. So you want to be ready and prepared. So that's one reason to advocate for the morning. The other is prayer. Seeking the will of God each day as you prepare for the day ahead. I keep trying to instill this in our interns, that we're praying that we would go to the people and places where God himself is about to go. We just spend a lot of time wasting a lot of time. But God, lead our footsteps. Lead us. Guide us to where you are about to go and work. The people and the places. Even as a church, every year, I mean, this is one of the beautiful things about church plant. Uh, The people from North Carolina are in a very established church, and so it probably takes a lot harder to shift things and change things and get rid of things. As a church plant, you can be like, you know what, we tried a bunch of stuff this summer, Let's clear the board and do it all differently next summer. Because you're trying to figure it out. And you say, God, we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to just put on kids' camps for the sake of putting on kids' camps. We don't want to just do cookouts for the sake of like, God, lead us and guide us. And recognizing your daily dependence on God of going before you. I've been I try to be transparent. I struggle with prayer. It's not my strongest area of spiritual discipline. It's probably the reason we do midweek prayer in the summer that you're all welcome to. Because it forces me to go, man, in the middle of the week? I've got a lot to do. I'm getting ready for gospel community. I'm in the middle of sermon prep. I've got other things I need to do, but to realize, God, I need you to go before me. And apart from you, I can't do this. So first is spiritual practices that will prepare us, help prepare us in the way of Jesus. Second is arming yourself to be able to withstand temptation to sin. Here's the reality of temptation, and I'm trying to work through this with my children. We're all tempted. We all have an area specifically, typically, that we're a little bit weaker in. So temptation is normal, but, but temptation will often come and hit you like a car wreck. You don't see it coming. I have this weird like fear almost. I haven't even told my wife this yet, but when I'm driving, sometimes I was like, I feel like, oh no, I'm going to get sideswiped or something. Because we have these four-way stops in Portland, but there's no stop signs. So if you don't creep through them, you're very likely going to get hit. And so I, that's what temptation often does. It, it'll hit you, but then it'll just it'll hit you like this, and it hits you too fast you didn't see it coming. Which means you only have seconds to minutes at most to make a decision when the temptation comes your way. Am I going to give in or am I going to stand strong? What, what am I going to do here? Being prepared and armed in these moments makes a massive difference. It might look like this. You might work for a boss and your company. Companies are struggling right now. And so they're like, we've got to get ahead. We've got to be the top dog. We've got to be the top company. And when you search for whatever this is on Google that we show up, there's all this competition out there and so your boss they might we're going to do anything call all stops we can cheat steal lie i don't care we are going to be the top dogs and i'm going to give you some money under the table that you're not going to pay taxes on in order to do it and so your boss okay if you cheat if you lie if you steal and you're going to get a promotion and you're going to live the life that i live what are you going to do in that moment i know the right answer but it's actually really really tempting what are you going to do in that moment when dating couples come to me, they ask my advice. It's, say, Matt, you've been married for a few years now. And our desire as a Christian couple is to stay pure in this relationship and honor God. How, how is it that we're able to do that? I always say it starts with being prepared for when the temptation comes. Don't wait until the moment to go, what are we going to do? Because I can tell you how that story is going to go. It's normal to desire intimacy. You're the single people. Those of you dating are desiring to date. I think we have some of that in here so we can have conversations afterwards but you have to have a battle plan for when the temptation comes your way the mentality must be i'd rather suffer momentarily rather than have this momentary moment of pleasure but that doesn't happen apart from preparedness if you're not prepared if you're not ready if you're not armed for battle third is we are called to suffer as a new person Last part, verse 1 says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So our suffering is an indication that we will cease, abstain from sin. Now we hear that and think, man, that would be great. That part hasn't happened to me yet. Like I'm not, I haven't ceased from sin entirely. So is is Peter implying that we will no longer sin? Because if so, then we probably all need to get saved again this morning. That's not what Peter's implying. James 3, 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble on what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. First John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So according to Scripture, we still sin, but what this verse is telling us and implying is that we have been released from the dominating control of sin in our lives. In other words, Sin was the Lord over our lives at one point, but now we're in Christ, and so the Lord is the Lord over our lives. So the Lord is the one who defines our lives. It's no longer that sin that defines our lives. That's why a friend of mine, and I understand why they do it, and I think they do some good stuff, but if he's gone through AA. And so according to AA, they would say, you know, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. And the longer my friend was in this program, I said, but, but that's not true. That's not what God's Word says. That's not what Scripture says. I am a beloved son and child of God. I'm not letting this define me. But oftentimes we, we all fall into our own form of that. We let, we let our past, we let our temptations, we let our areas of sin define us, but that's not what scripture shows. That You are a beloved child of God, a son, a daughter. And Peter's point is that suffering as a Christian is an indication that we have chosen Christ and his will over the way of the world, over being defined by those other things. And so this serves as a reminder for all of us, but especially if you're in here this morning and there's a specific area of sin or temptation, you're just like, I'm just battling this day in and day out. And the reality is we probably all have those things. But you might just say, I just don't know what to do. We see we see Paul talk about this a lot. It's a reminder that Christ's death, we looked at this last week, verse 18, go back and look at it. Christ's death was once for all sin. That Christ has covered it He's already covered that struggle that you're dealing with. He's already covered that sin that you keep continuing to go back to. That Christ reconciled us to God. That he made a way that we could be right with God. He's made us a new creation. He's given us a new identity. And he's made us free in order to pursue godliness and put sin to death. That's good news. Fourth thing that we're called to. Is we're called to live a new, dedicated life. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So it says we have chosen to live for the rest of time, the rest of our days, a dedicated life. One that's no longer defined by the human flesh, by the passions of the world, but for the will of God. That that now is our desire. But that is now, as we go forward in life, what we are living for and what we're living from. But this is a choice we must make. I would say it's one that we have to make to live for the will of man and not for... I mean, for the will of God not for the will of man. Which is why we cease from something. We cease from the flesh. We cease from sin. And we cease for something. We cease for the will of God. And if his words sound familiar from Peter... He's echoing the words of Jesus. He's saying, this is the reality. This is now your life in me and through me. Think about the opposite. Here's what the opposite would look like. Is you won't ever suffer because the world loves you. They love you so much, there's no reason for you to ever have to suffer. They see no difference between you and them, between your beliefs, between your practices, between your language, between your lifestyle, between your work ethic. They see no differences. So they love you. And life is all one big, bubbly, happy family. There's no differences. I'm not saying you have to go be the weird, oddball at the office, but there should be a difference in just how you're practically living out your life because of the Holy Spirit within you. If you never suffer as a Christian in this world, it's likely because you have chosen to live for your own will and the sensualities and passions of this world rather than that of God. And once again, you might say, what do you mean by that? We don't have time to unpack it unless you want to be here for... Multiple hours, but we can have discussions around the table at lunch. We can have discussions over coffee this week. Or come, to the gospel community. Not this week is around Worship night, but the week after. But if and when you suffer at the hands of a hostile world, it's because you have chosen the will of God, because you have chosen His righteousness. And let's make sure, church, that we suffer for the right things, because it's, we're passionately following and pursuing the will of God. And that the world doesn't like it. And so we've looked at, first point, the living out the calling of God's will. This brings us to our second point. Our motivations and lights of the will of God. So we've got three motivations we're going to look at. Past, present, future. And so our first, our past motivations, look at me with verse 3. It says, For the time that is past suffices, For doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I've never met a Christian who needed to be convinced that they were to live for the will of God. I never have. But I've met plenty of Christians. Myself included. Maybe chief in this room. Who lacks the motivation to live for the will of God. So we know, it's one thing to know that we're supposed to and to say, oh yeah, I, I want to live for God's will. I want God's will in my life. I want God's will in my relationships. I want God's will in my job. I want God's will to buy my house. And I want God's will to move around, but how I parent, how I do all these things. So it's one thing to know it. It's another to actually have the motivation. So I think also we lack that motivation to live out the will of God. And what Peter's doing, he's exhorting us and saying, church, listen, the time has passed for doing what, the Gentiles want to do. And what that's when he's using the word Gentiles, he's saying the sinners, the world, that you were part of, that you've been called out. If you've been with us, you've been called out. You've been drawn out. And the time has passed for you to do that. Your time has passed for you to live this way. And he lists several areas of sin. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Now, here's the thing that we must catch culturally. Culturally. All of these areas were part of the culture at the time of Peter's writing. They would have been normative. They would have been part of the culture and very accepted part of the culture. So these Christians that were that he's writing to in large part, they felt like sojourners because the culture around them had normalized these areas of sin. Did you catch that? The culture around them had normalized. And when things are normalized, you feel abnormal, you feel different, you feel weird if you don't go with the flow of what has been normalized. So, the culture around them had normalized these things. But these Christians were choosing not to participate. I bet they were tempted to. They were the only guy around the water cooler who wasn't giving in to whatever area of sensuality. I bet they were tempted to. And maybe at times they did. But Peter's exhorting them, encouraging them, saying, You don't have to participate. It may feel normal, you may feel like the oddball, but you do not have to participate. This is a good reminder for us in our city and culture here in Portland. A city that leads in being post-Christian. I mean, we're the poster child for it, right? If you if you want to see the list of things, like we are the poster child. We're the ones that, that's putting the billboards up. I always tell people, Portland, coming to a city near you. Got a tough crowd this week. Nobody's laughing at my jokes. <laughs> but sin has become increasingly normal. Or normalizing things that I had never even dreamed to imagine as a kid that we would see normalized. And here's the reality in our present day society, when you don't affirm or you don't engage in certain aspects of society, but you speak up or you speak out, you will receive some level of opposition. 100% guaranteed that you will. And here's what our brother Peter says be ready for it. Because it is coming. But he's what right, he's reminding us is, he's saying, that you are finished with sin. Now is not the time to catch up. Now is not the time. You see this sometimes? And I know I'm speaking to kids in North Carolina, so some of your stories might be like mine. You've maybe been in church since you were born. You can't remember anything else. And so you'll, you'll be raised in church and you'll know the right thing to say in the Bible study. You'll, you'll know how to act, you'll know how to dress when you go to this church gathering. But then one day you get out on your own, and sometimes what happens, you enter this world called college. And I think sometimes in the U.S. church, we almost interpret college like, uh, I can't what they call it, but the Amish have this like, period of time where you can go and just rebel and do whatever you want. And so the church hasn't advocated for this, and our parents and our pastors have it, but it's like, hey, I'm in college, I'm away from home. I know I was the leader over here at this Bible study last year, but woo, I'm going to go live this out. I've seen it happen time and time again. I've seen people my age. I'm not picking on college students. I've seen people my age who are like, you know what? I did this. I did the thing. I got married right out of high school or college, and now I found myself in a marriage. I don't know if I want to be in it any longer. I didn't get to explore. I didn't go to the drinking parties. I didn't go and date around. I didn't sleep with other people. And they, and they find themselves in a place they never thought they would want to be. And they give into to the temptation because they weren't prepared. They weren't armed for battle. They had something, something else that they had bought into. And that's what Peter is saying. It's coming. Be ready for it. He says, you're finished with sin. Now is not time to catch up. This brings a second to our present motivations. Verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. I'm going to start using that word. <laughs> and they malign you. This might be one of the newest, hardest things for a new Christian to face. Your friends, not all, But many of them like you because you do the things that they do. And you've joined them in those things. You might be the life of the party. And in Peter's words, you have joined them in the same flood of debauchery. But now you're a new person. God has called you to himself. You've given your life to Christ. You've gotten baptized. And you're like, I'm on fire for Jesus. I don't even desire this anymore. I used to desire this, but I don't even desire this anymore. And so sometimes certain friends are going to be surprised. They're gonna say, "Why aren't you engaging? Why aren't you doing this any longer?" And they're like, "You've changed," and they're surprised when you say, "No." Now, some of them may be curious about your faith. That's what we're hopeful for, is that it's like you're a spark, and then it lights something else, and they're curious. Hey, what? What changed? Why did it change? Some of them may mock you. They may mock Jesus. Some of them may assume that you are now judging them for doing the very thing that you were doing previously. And some of them may try to convince you to return to your former way of life. Oh, dude, that's boring. It's dull. This is so much more fun over here. And so college students, you likely will live a life of opposition for not living the typical college party life, especially if you live that way before coming to Christ. And the reality is for all of us, because of our faith in Jesus, you're not going to be liked all the time. I know we're all likable people. And I'm a people person. I like most people. So it hurts when somebody doesn't like me. It hurts when I'm rejected. I've met people, I've known people who are raised Muslim. Who have been completely transformed by Jesus and their families disown them. They kick them out. They no longer get any family inheritance. And they want nothing to do with them. Can you imagine? If I'm not mistaken, that's not anybody's story in here. But I feel like we always have to look at things, one, in a cultural, biblical perspective, but also in a global perspective, since we do have it fairly comfortable here. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's anyone's story. And so I, I think about people who I personally have met, and that's been their story. And if they go back to the village where they're from, there's death threats put on their life for following the same Jesus that you and I follow, for singing these same songs where we have the freedom to raise our hands or not, or sit or stand or lay down, freedom to drink coffee. That is their reality. And church, I told you this recently. I don't think we're going to get to that place. Maybe one day we will. But I do believe firmly that it is only going to get harder to be a Christian in our city and our nation. It's only going to get harder. I think the pandemic revealed some really eye-opening things, some good, some bad of the church, some areas of weakness as a whole, some things we need to probably correct and work on. But I also think that it, it kind of weeded out those who were really in or who really, who really weren't. And sometimes, oh, no, that's a bad thing. There's less people. I think it's a good thing. It's helping us see who's really in or who's really not. We've made it so easy here. That it's easy to just attach yourself to Christianity and the church. And then we get shocked when the culture at large doesn't accept who we are. It's only going to get harder. We knew this day would be coming. I know you might be thinking, man, man, this is not the most encouraging message. This is reality. But Peter is encouraging us. He's encouraging us that this is the sojourn (laughs) that we have been called to. This is the way of Jesus. Does it mean we go seek it out, as I've told you the last several weeks, because it's going to come naturally? Focus on God, focus on his word, focus on his will. Love God, love others all around us. You don't reciprocate when they, when they do things towards you. But this is the way of Jesus. And when facing opposition, our brother Peter reminds us to cling for hope. Because we're just here as sojourners. Third, and we'll be finished, our future motivations, verses 5 and 6. It says, But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judge in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So Peter already told us, don't be shocked when suffering comes your way. He now reminds us that the mockers, as he says, will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, at times, the culture at large may seem to have the upper hand. And you might think, why, why are they always on the winning side? But salvation will be revealed. He says to the living and the dead when Christ returns to judge. So people may not mock you now, because like King David said, God will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. God will handle it. Let God handle it. That's why I said last week. We don't have to be the we don't have to go out of our way to be defenders of God because God can handle Himself. He's God. I think the CSB does a, a better job of entering the word now in verse 6 where it says dead, so it reads now dead. And you might think, what in the world is Peter talking about? Like, does this mean people who have died now get a second chance? Like, that they have this other opportunity? He's not talking about preaching to dead people. You can try that. Good luck, because they're, they're dead. I don't think he's going to do any good. But he's talking about those who have heard the gospel and believe, and when they were alive, and now they're dead. And so now they live in the spirit realm like Christ. You see, unbelievers, pre-believers, as I like to say, I say it that way because my hope is those who I know who aren't Christians will become Christians. You don't get the judge to judge and decide that they're not going to become a Christian. You love them in practices and way of Jesus and see what God does. But those who are not yet following Christ, they see no advantage from being a Christian if in the end you still die. But what they fail to realize is death is not the final word. This is a word of hope. That's why when I, when I go to funerals, I know I've used this a lot. I just keep coming back to it. If I don't know if the person knew Christ, it's the saddest event that I've been to. The family's mourning like nobody else. It's just weeping and wailing, and there's just uncertainty all about it. But when I attend a funeral or a service that's honoring someone's life and they knew Christ, yes, it's sad, but this, it's like a balance of the sad over here but we're celebrating over here. I always find myself the older I get. I know it sounds morbid. I'm kind of jealous. I'm like, they no longer have to deal with this life. They don't have to pay bills and deal with the the aspects of life that we have to deal with. They're in the presence of Jesus now. And so dumb believers may not understand this, but this should be encouraging to us. If you've lost a loved one who was in Christ, you know where they are. You're the one that's here suffering. And this is also a hope for us to continue to live a a life that's pursuing the Lord, even in a post-Christian city like ours. And this should remind us of the urgency of evangelism today. While we still have an opportunity, because people don't get a second chance. They don't die. Scripture doesn't teach that they die and then there's going to be this other chance. That we can shake them out of death. And that there's some weird spirit realm that we get to go and, maybe you have one more chance. I know you didn't do it there. And you're on the the gate of eternity. No, once they're dead, they're dead. That is sad. But we have an opportunity today. We've all been given a life. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You've been placed onto your street where you work, where you live, where you play for a reason, even temporarily as you sojourn. You're here this week from North Carolina. You're here this summer from Texas. If you live here, then you live here, and God's got a purpose in that, and it's because there's not a second chance that he puts us in contact with individuals, men, women, and children who are often far from him, and don't be surprised if he doesn't use your life to help draw them to himself. Remember, you are a sojourner, and though you suffer here, it is short and it is temporary when we look at the, the scope of eternity, and glory awaits you. And we're called to take the opportunity to follow God's will and steward God's grace in our lives. Well, it's not too late. Philippians 1:29. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So, church, this is what we've been called to. And our brother Peter would say, Go. And live this out. This is your calling. This is your motivation. Is it hard? Yes. Temptation come your way? Yes. But continue to follow the Lord. Let me pray for us, then we'll finish the worship. God, we come to you. Recognizing that it's hard to feel isolated, different it's hard to live the life of an exile. God, living in a, a culture that wants anything to do with the opposite of you. God, some of that self-inflicted as, as a whole, and so we do pray that as a church, as a local church, and a part of your big C church, God, that we can live out your way, your practices, God, we see your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. And God, as we sojourn through this life, Lord, as it becomes increasingly harder, that your Holy Spirit would sustain us and guide us until the day of glory. And God, that in this life that you have placed us, that we will continuously point others towards you. For this is the hope. God, we are your bride. We are the church. I hope for the earth. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, SojournPDX.org.